So awesome, Mike. Thanks, guys. Zeus. How do you say it? Yeah, so Esther, very strange book. Uh, God's name is not mentioned in the whole book. Yes. I always hear that. Okay. <laughs> so, and the reason is because it's quite remarkable. It's quite uh, strange that in the Bible, in God's book, there is a book that doesn't even mention him. So there has been sort of debate uh, regarding its canonicity, but it is God's word. And it is quite remarkable that it is a book that actually, when you read carefully, God is everywhere in the book without him being mentioned. And so one of the main themes about Esther is that uh, God is sovereign. So there are so many situations that we would say, oh, that's a co- what a coincidence. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. But obviously, as, as believers, we know actually God had ordained that. Okay, so um, Esther is there at the right time when, with what happens with Vashti. Um, Mordecai is there at the certain time. The uh, Ahasuerus can't sleep one night. And so he says... To help him go to sleep, they would come and read the, the, the records, the court records. Okay, so something really boring. And there must have been thousands of them. And they open up and it talks about this guy Mordecai. Then, he's, then he asks his servants, is there anyone nearby? And they say, Hanan is nearby. Hanan is nearby. Haman is nearby. Sorry, Haman is nearby. So, Uh, obviously as believers we don't believe in chance or luck or anything like that God is absolutely in control and so you see that he is uh, organizing everything arranging everything um, for the good of his people so what's the setting what's the time Uh, we're we're in Susa again, so if you look there at verse 2, in those days when King, uh, well let's read from verse 1 now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the, the, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign. So he reigned from 486 to 465, so this is 483 B.C., so uh, this again is sort of 50 years after the decree of Cyrus and we find that there are, as we saw already with um, uh, Nehemiah, there are Jews who have not returned home and Esther and her uncle Mordecai are, are one family that are still in in Babylon they have not returned home um, and it's during the reign of this great king. And so, as I said, his other name is Xerxes. Okay? So, so hey, Xerxes Zer- is, uh, is uh, Xerxes. Xerxes, yeah. Xerxes is Xerxes. So, Xerxes was his Greek name. So, um, the it's famous, as I said, to the movie 300. So, there was this, this great 
war between the Persians and the Greeks. And um, he, he mobilized a huge army. <coughs> um, and then he actually built these sort of bridges with boats all the way across the, the, the canal to, to, um, to Greece. And uh, then there was a great storm that washed all the, the boats away. But he does, he does win the battle of, with Thermopylae, that's mm. the, the 300. He does win that battle. They actually get to Athens and ransack Athens. Mm. But they lose, start to lose some battles. They lose a, a sea battle. And all of these, these smaller battles that they, they lose starts to sound this, the end of the Persian Empire. It's not immediate. It's gradual. Uh, which is the empire that comes after? Before that. Before the Roman Empire, there's another empire. The Chaldeans, were they the Persians? Uh, Chaldeans are the Babylonians, ah, um, okay. but it's the same area, sort of thing. Yeah, this is Medo Persian. Mongolian? Alexander no, the Great? Alexander the Great. Yeah. So the, really? the Greek Empire, yeah, arises. The Greek was before. No, that's in the 300s. Um. 300s BC. But so, yeah, it helps to just put it in global history mm. so you can sort of picture the. the I mean, you can see how he is, he's declared the great king who is over from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, a great empire. Um, okay, so he has this festival, this feast, this great feast, and he calls his wife, uh, Vashti, and she says, no, I'm not coming. Um, and so it's a big problem because she's not listening to her husband, and so the other men are like, well, if she doesn't listen to you, what are our wives going to do? They're not going to listen to us. So... Um, they decide, well, you need to replace her. And there's really a beauty pageant held. And um, uh, so uh, Esther, we're told, is beautiful. We are told in... She would be consent. Once again, a, a, a Jews uh, out of beauties um, brought into your account, like Saul. And <laughs> didn't you say actually that like where in the Bible like it bring talks about characterizes the woman's beauty, then that's not a good thing. Like the I mean, means that there's nothing else. Well, to if it's no, no, that, but no, no, no. The Bible is not against beauty at all. Right. It's if that's all there is, yeah. then it's a problem. The Bible's definitely not against... Remember, we saw with David. David was good-looking. Yeah, she's also willing to sacrifice herself for people. Ultimately, yeah. It doesn't start off well, though, but... Uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Now, there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Who's a famous Benjaminite? Saul. Saul. Remember that? King Saul. And then also, later on, the apostle Paul was a Benjaminite. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 2. Verse 6, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Draconia, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Okay, so you can see the way the scripture puts it. It's not... It's not in a sinister way. It's appreciating beauty. Um, 
she then enters this, she's taken to enter this beauty pageant, okay? And it's not just a beauty pageant. There's a, a sort of Christian movie called One Night with the King. Um, and that's exactly what would happen. These women would actually sleep with the king. And then he would decide if he... She's told not to mention that she's a Jew. Okay, So it's really weird. These are God's people but you can see how far they've drifted that um, they're, they're, they don't talk about God. There's no sort of mention of God. She's willing to be involved in this type of situation where she sleeps with the, the king. Uh, they're not married. It's really, you know, to, to see if he will choose her. So really ethically, morally, um, they've been influenced by... Babylonian culture, okay, and that's always a danger, but you know, of, of wilderness that we get influenced by the culture around us. But what the Book of Esther shows us is that even in the midst of pagan environments, God will keep His people, okay, in spite of our sin. Remember the Corinthians in Corinth in a wicked city, lots of sin. God still keeps them; they are still His people. And so that should, must keep us from self-righteousness, must keep us gracious and humble, not condoning sin, but understanding that God's people sin. Okay? Um, True, but they also didn't have the help of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> they didn't have Jesus come down and be the help, the help of the, like we have, the Holy Spirit, where we are convicted and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. They didn't have the... They didn't have the... Um, the, the, no, they, they would have. I mean, David definitely has conviction. I mean, the Psalms, they're definitely convicted. So it's not, it's just, I would say that... Convicted to other people, though. No, the Holy Spirit's definitely at work. I, it, I don't see how anyone could be a believer without the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit. They had to be made spiritually alive. The natural man cannot please God. They just didn't have the immediacy and intimacy that we have. But... Um, uh, so certainly we should sin less, but the Corinthians were sinning badly. Uh, Peter sins very badly, um, and he was an apostle. So, judging Galatia always bewitched you. I mean, they must have. Yes, well, that one's a little bit different because he's questioning whether they are actually saved. Now, what's interesting is that they they are not sexually immoral. That church. They're not even immoral on, a, on, a, on that ethical plane. They're, they're, they are believing wrong things. And that's the church that he is hardest at. He's saying, you, you, I'm not even sure. I think I've wasted my time with you. Uh, there's no thankfulness when he writes to the Galatian church. <coughs> Every other church, Paul will say, I thank God for something, something, something. But not the Galatian church. So um, there is hope if people believe but they're messing up. But there's no hope if you're not messing up, but you believe the wrong thing. Because um, we're not saved by being perfect. We're saved by, by trusting in Christ, which will have an outworking. But remember that people come from different places. Okay, So the Corinthians came from a heavy pagan background. Okay, So, of course, there's going to also be different... Um, degrees 
understanding of people's background, walking a road, if a person's repentant, etc., etc., etc. But, but in scripture, we always find you know if people know more, they're more accountable, okay? mm-hmm. they're more responsible. Okay? Um, remember, when all these things are written for our example, if we simply say, "Well, they didn't have the Holy Spirit," then it's not really helpful for us at all because it's like, "Well, oh, that's got nothing to do with us." They didn't have that, but they're believers, and they. While they, they weren't in the new covenant, they, they were still saved, and, and, and they're, um, we can learn from God's grace to them and how that God kept them even in this very difficult situation. <coughs> always, it's always for His glory, but also for His love for us. He loves us, He truly loves us. Okay, so um, He's a Benjaminite. The other guy that we are int- introduced to is, is uh, chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite. Okay, so um, remember Agag was a... Remember we... There was a king called Agag, do you remember? Mm-hmm. He was an Amalekite. Saul, the Benjaminite, was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. Remember that? And when he kicked the sheep and the stuff, and the Samuel best. said, the best what is the bleating? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he, Samuel hacked the king to pieces. Mm-hmm. And then remember, we noticed that it was an Amalekite who actually killed Saul in the end. Saul tried to kill himself, but it didn't work. The Amalekite killed him. And he was supposed to kill all the Amalekites. Remember the whole story, the seed of the woman, seed of the serpent? We're seeing it here again. Okay. Um, with the, a Benjaminite and, and an Amalekite. Okay. Coming up again. And there's going to be this, this war between them. Okay. So, um, uh, as I said, lots of things that happen that seem to be coincidence, but actually God's in control. Mordecai discovers a plot to kill the king, and um, it's stopped, and the men are put to death. Um, uh, chapter 3, this Haman, the Agagite, is promoted, and everyone would bow down to him. Um, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him. Verse 3, then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So so as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Okay, and so um, another theme is the theme of uh, reversal. (coughs) So this guy, Haman, is so enraged because Mordecai refuses to bow down to him. You know, he's he's got, you know, um, it's a narcissistic personality disorder, whatever it is. <laughs> he, he's incredibly full of himself. Mm. And so instead of just like taking it out on Mordecai, he, he wants to just kill the, the whole nation, 
that Mordecai belongs to, kill the Jews. Now, of course, this is a very sort of prescient because um, the, the, the annihilation of the Jews becomes something more and more that Satan seeks to, to um, fulfill. Okay. And so Esther becomes very important to the Jews because it's here, yeah, genocide. That's what he wants, genocide. And of course, it's satanic because they, they, here in the Old Covenant, God had chosen them and they were the means that he was going to bless all the nations. And so if Satan can put an end to that, then there's no blessing to all the nations. Um, so there's a feast that comes from Esther. It's a feast called Purim. It's still a, a Jewish feast, okay, where they celebrate God's victory and preservation of, of their nation. Okay, so let's see how that happens. Okay, so uh, Haman is uh, enraged and he comes to Ahasuerus and manages to get him to issue a decree that, yes, on a certain day, throughout his empire, people can rise up and kill the Jews. Okay, that tells you something about the, the, the sort of oriental world at the time. Um, Mordecai hears of this and he goes into sackcloth and he's fasting then Esther finds out about it um, and um, look at verse 12 of chapter 4 and they told Mordecai what Esther had said then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews for if you keep silent at this time Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's Mordecai talking to his, his niece, to Esther. Okay, and so that's a famous phrase that we still use, hey, for such a time as, as this. And it's, but you can see, he doesn't say God will save us some other way. He says salvation will come or deliverance will come from some other place. But who knows, maybe for such a time as this, God has raised you up. Well, you've been raised up. Um, and I think that's really true of, of every Christian at every point in history. That you know, God didn't make a mistake. There's a reason you were born when you were born and into the situation you were born and where you find yourself right now. If you live with regrets the whole time, that's really denying God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's sovereignty. Um, I don't think that's what God calls us to. Uh, we should always be ashamed of what we've done. Our sin, Paul says that, the things of which you are now ashamed. Now, what I, what I think he means is not we walk around with shame, I'm so useless, but we don't, we don't think back, like, well, what a happy time. or It's a shameful time when we didn't know the Lord and when we've sinned as Christians. We, it's behind us. Remember, Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, uh, he, he reaches forward, he presses forward. So... Um, we, we, we're here, we're forgiven, we're loved, we have work to do, and yeah, we're going to fall sometimes, we're going to sin, we're going to make mistakes, but if we repent and keep our eyes on Christ, that's, we keep moving forward. Um, so, uh, it's for such a time as this, it's for wherever your sphere, wherever you are, God has called us. 
Verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Okay. So, uh, chapter 5, Esther prepares a banquet, and she, the law seems to be that she, she was not allowed to, as one of the wives, or the primary wife, she was not allowed even to just to approach the king without being summoned. Okay. Um, she really did risk her life going there. So what the book of Esther does, it's quite interesting, is we, we, it, it develops. Um, we see Esther sort of develop from this sort of ungodly, foolish woman to someone who grows in, to the place where she's willing to, as you said, lay down her life for her people. Okay. So she becomes a type of Christ. Okay. She becomes a type of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, I've got a quote here. The book traces Esther's development from a passive, sinful Jew to an active, obedient deliverer. So from a sinful, passive Jew to an active, obedient deliverer. And she becomes a type of Christ because, of course, Christ laid down his life for his people. Okay. So um, uh, we remember we've said all the way through, we, all of Scripture is about Christ. It all points us to him. Um, and so we have... Uh, institutions that point us to Christ, like the temple, the sacrifices, the feasts, the year of Jubilee, uh, all these things point us to Christ. We have kings that point us to Christ. We have prophets that point us to Christ. We have all of these things, but we also have ladies who point us to, to Christ. Um, and in fact, in Proverbs, uh, wisdom is personified as a, as a lady. Okay. Um, so, this is, and again, in that culture, that was high, you know, that would be very odd. Mm. Okay, to remember, very misogynistic culture, very odd for a lady to be a type of Christ. Okay, but it's a, she's a beautiful type of Christ. She comes from an unlikely place, unlikely person, and yet she's willing to lay down her life for her people. Um, and then it's very humorous. There's a lot of humor here. We, you know, we should, we should try and see it. It's good to read it. Where she, you know, she has this banquet. Um, she invites Haman. Um, Haman then is really upset about this uh, Mordecai. So his wife says, "Well, why don't you build a big gallows, fifty cubits high? That's thirty-five meters high, and hang him on it." Um, it seems to be it's not so much a gallows like we, we would think of in you know where you hang someone, but more he would be impaled. Okay, so. That made him happy. He was quite happy about that. So he went out and he got people to make it for him, you know. So you can see what type of guy he is. He's like very, very narcissistic and very cruel. Um, and his wife obviously understands him. Why didn't you just go and kill him? And <laughs> very supportive of his, his work. Uh, <laughs> um, chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep. And that's really the hinge of the book. 
can't sleep, so he asks for the book to be read. And in that book, it, it tells about what Mordecai did much earlier on, where he, he, he thwarted this plot. And he says, was this guy, was he rewarded? And there's no record, he wasn't rewarded. So, um, verse 4, and uh, the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the court. You see another coincidence. Haman's just walked in. And they, they tell him, Haman's there. So he says to Haman, Haman, what, should we, what, what would you do if you wanted to honor someone? If, if you were the king and you really wanted to honor someone, Haman thinks, oh, he really wants to honor me. I would make him go wear the king's clothes and go on the king's horse and make everyone bow down to him on pain of death. And, uh, and he says, that's a great idea. That's what I want you to do for Mordecai. <laughs> okay. So this uh, reversal takes place. And then you know that uh, she has another banquet. And uh, when Haman realizes, you know, he falls down near her and, and the, you know, the king comes in and thinks he's trying to take, trying to rape his wife. And um, Haman gets impaled on his own, his own gallows. So reversal. Okay. Mm. But the decree of the king can't be reversed. Remember with Daniel as well. Remember, Daniel didn't want to, didn't know they tricked him. They tricked uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Was it Nebuchadnezzar at that time? Mm. About praying and that. And so they threw Daniel into the lion's den because once, you know, it's the law of the Medes, the Medes and the Persians, so let it be written, so let it be done. You know, that kind of thing. It can't be mm. taken back. Mm. So what they do is they decide, Esther says, well, Make a law that on that day every Jewish person can defend themselves, and um, and that brought fear across the whole empire because of what had happened with Haman, and the Jews actually defend themselves. And just in Susa alone, they kill five hundred people, and it says there throughout the empire, seventy-five thousand people were killed. Okay, and then she says she goes back to him and says, "Look, can we have another day?" <laughs> okay, and so in Susa they kill another three hundred men. And then they, they have a great feast. There's a great celebration. Um, you can see on chapter 9, verse 18, But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. And that's where the Feast of Purim comes in. Purim means lots, casting lots. Because Haman cast lots for the right day to kill the Jews. <coughs> So it's like a reversal. But again, casting lots seems like chance, doesn't it? Okay. It's a lot. It was, it's a dice. Throwing dice. But even Proverbs says that the, the lot is in the, in the lap of God. I think it says something like that. The, the, the die is cast. But God is the one, again, in Proverbs that is sovereign even over the casting of a dice. So again, it looks like chance, coincidence, strange things, but overall God is in complete control. And the nation of Israel, the God's people are protected and defeat evil because the enemies tried to destroy them and they were able to fight back and destroy them. And there's this great celebration. So the Feast of Purim is one of the, the feasts that are, are then inaugurated. It's not in, in, in Leviticus, it's an extra feast. And it's really about celebration. So what can we learn from Esther? Well, Esther is a wonderful picture of a, of a, a person who grows in holiness. Okay? She develops as a person, okay? uh, which should be true of all of us. We see that God is sovereign over all things. We see reversal. That, and that's a, all, throughout Scripture. Uh, though you know, the first will be last and the last will be 
first. Uh, those who, who oppress God's people in the end will, will be oppressed. Um, so there's always, always reversal. And then Purim is about rejoicing. And I think this is a beautiful thing that, we, that, that one commentator said. Um, I thought I wrote it down somewhere. <coughs> I didn't get the quote. But really it's a feast of joy that God keeps his people in the midst of persecution and pagan cultures. And so... It is right for us to also rejoice in God's grace to us and that he keeps us even in the midst of uh, really difficult times. Um, and, and so, you know, we don't have to always be sad. There are difficulties and trials, but there's also joy because God has had mercy upon us and, and the victory is, is his. Amen. Any, any questions, comments before we close? My boss is a Jew. And he was telling me about this Purim. Okay. And it's apparently like a big celebration. They have a lot of fun. And then one of the questions was also Jewish. He said to me, I drink a lot of whiskey. Okay. <laughs> 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 so we should definitely re- reintroduce it. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's good whiskey, though. Right? Um, Not that paint thinner so stuff. <laughs> With Esther... We, um, are we assuming her salvation based off of her acts, especially with what you um, uh, mentioned right at the beginning, which is that you know this is quite a strange book in that there's no mention of God, um, and though we do see how she starts off, um, and then that picture that you were just explaining of her growing in holiness, uh, so are we assuming a, a salvation based on what's said of her? Yes, how yes, actor or. I, I um yeah I I would I don't have any problem that, you know that she's part of the people of God and and God uses her and and uh that through her a whole f- new feast is added to the the Jewish calendar um I remember that it it may not be that in their in in their lives, they never spoke about God. I don't think that's what we should take from it. I think that the narrator has been very sophisticated in not referring to God and in that way actually highlighting the sovereignty of God. So it's quite a... Whoever wrote it, we don't know who wrote it. And how God protects His chosen people regardless of how fallen they are. Yes. Because they are fully into Babylonian customs. So he still acknowledges he's a Jew and he's risking his life to do that. He's not saying... Uh, at the beginning, he does say, don't tell them you're a Jew. But then he tells um, the servants that he's a Jew. So there's definitely development in there. In there. Um, so I, I don't have any... You know, it's the same as Solomon. People question, is Solomon in heaven? I, you know, I believe that he is. Um, but yeah... It's not a hill to die for me, but I would, I would. So it's more a case of, um, like, basically, trying, like, the author's trying to convince us more through the actions and the events, rather than just saying God or like 
Yes. Okay, like yeah. Hanaway says. You get what I'm saying? Yes, yes. So yeah. I think it's it's sophisticated mm, okay. literature. Okay. So um, you know those this this can be it can be a book or a movie that um, is very, very obvious and blunt in its message, you know, mm. and it's just like it's a bit unsophisticated. It's okay. it's bigger. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, who's it? Uh, Key and Peele. Yeah. Yeah. The movies on racism. Mm. Very clever. Mm. But it's not like overt, like there's lots of movies like racism is bad. And that's all they say, you know, you're racist, yeah, yeah. you're racist. Mm-hmm. But then when you use it, when you go like deeper and you do it in a more sophisticated level, it punches harder. Mm. That's, I think, what's going on here. Okay. If it, it was just like, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Uh, um, so this we have to piece it together and then when we realize wait a minute there's no way there's all these consequent all these coincidences just happen can the, sorry no no so that's I think it's once you get it then you're like wow you can't not see it after that um, mm. that this is all about God <laughs> yeah um, I was having a, like a chat with a friend about this can this rule sort of be applied to other art forms, you know, where we could like still sort of see like a, a godly message or like a godly sort of form. Definitely. So I, I uh, even I, if it may not even come from a believer, like it's still yeah, it's still like biblical and still yeah. Okay. So people are made in the image of God. I would argue that all great stories that have stood the test of time um, have within them uh, gospel truths. So you think of all the fairy stories, you know, the prince and his, his bride, you know, he, it's the prince lays down his life, you know, mm-hmm. he fights the dragon to win her. That's the story of scripture that Christ came and fought Satan for his bride. Uh, Beauty and the beast. Um, how is the beast changed? Through, she loves him. Yeah. He's a beast. It's like us. How are we changed through the love of God? Mm. Um, so, so definitely, um, I would, I would see that. And I also think, for as Christians, like C.S. Lewis, he was sort of saying that, like in his literature, Chronicles of Narnia, mm. you know, the, the, there's a lot of Christian themes there, and Aslan is a Christ figure, but he yeah. doesn't do it in a, you know, mm. in an obvious, obvious way. Um, and that was intentional. Because, you know, obviously a lot more people read it and then mm. you're, you're sort of secretly getting Christian truth there that the Holy Spirit can then use and bring to life at some point. Mm. So I, I, I think... There are very obvious points in that one. There are for Christians. We can, the, we the can yeah, see it, yeah. It comes back to life. It's like in Christ's eyes, the, the temple falls and breaks. But, but it's because you, you, you know the yeah, Christian yeah. story. But yeah. for others, it's... It, so, I, I, yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, if Christians could write more literature and more m- mm. movies or whatever, where it's not like Bible well, bashing, one, mm. but it's, it's, oh. it's more cryptic, cryptic but mm. there, and it's okay. redemptive. Because uh, 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 mm. people tend to think, we don't say, okay, sure, um, that guy's a Christian engineer. 
Uh, you know how I know? Because he says that on all his papers at the bottom, he says, Jesus loves you or something. We don't, we don't say that. We, we, uh, so it's not, it's not like if you're a Christian, every song, if you write songs, every song has to mention um, the Trinity or something. It, no, it's... Uh, it, it's what it's the whatever God's gifted you at, you use that, but from a Christian perspective. So I would still argue an engineer, a Christian engineer, should see things differently to a non-Christian yeah. in terms of beauty, truth, goodness, um, not being crooked, mm. not skimping on materials that yeah. might cause damage later on, etc., yeah. etc. Et so there will be a difference, but it's not. It's not because he's got a bumper sticker. That's you know. Then that's. If the only thing that's different about you is you're a t-shirt that you know says something about Jesus, then that's not. I think Ray Comfort says that's putting putting fig leaves on. Mm, okay. uh, you're not. But yeah, it's it's later. I know people. Let me pray. Okay. Cool. Father, thank you for our time. Uh, thank you for Esther, Lord. Um, thank you that you have had mercy upon us. We we also live in a in a pagan city, Lord, uh, much sin, uh, much hatred of you. And yet we know that you love human beings and you want us to be salt and light. And so please use us. Um, we pray that, that uh, you would save many. And we also pray that you would work in the hearts of our politicians and leaders, Lord. We see in these books that we've read today and studied, you're in control, Lord. You're in control of mayors and premiers and prime ministers and presidents and kings and emperors. And so we do ask that you would work in a wonderful way for the good of your people. Uh, just keep us all safe, keep us from sin, keep those who are traveling. In Jesus' name, amen.